0: Right. good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Immune Deficiency Foundation's Skid Compass Lunch and Learn. Today, we are discussing transitioning from pediatric to adult care with Dr. Lauren Sanchez from UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital. My name is Emma Mertens, and I'm the Program Manager of Community Health at IDF. On behalf of the foundation, I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this program we are excited to host this event for the IDF community. IDF is dedicated to fostering a community empowered by education. We want you to remember that IDF is committed to our community, serving you as a trusted resource through the use of technology and innovation. We are here to give you the tools and information to become empowered and offer you our compassion, understanding and support to emphasize that you are not alone on your journey. Today's program is part of IDF's regular series of bite-sized programming that will provide diagnosis-specific information and support to our community wherever they may be. Before we begin, I would like to point out a few housekeeping items to keep in mind for the webinar. This afternoon, we are using the Zoom webinar feature. Attendees should be able to see the slides and our presenter and be able to hear myself and our presenter speak. Attendees will not be able to activate their video camera or their microphone. There will be the opportunity for questions after the presentation. You are welcome to submit any questions you have for our presenter as you think of them throughout the session. Please type them in the Q&A box in the control panel on your screen. Please do not include any personal health information as all questions will be anonymous and read aloud. A brief disclaimer. Please remember the information presented during this event is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. We are here today as a trusted source and friend to provide you with information. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with questions concerning a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking it based on information presented during an educational event. Today's program is offered in partnership with the CalSkid Long-Term Follow-Up Project. Skid Compass, an educational program of the Immune Deficiency Foundation, was created back in 2018 with the purpose of guiding parents, families, and the medical community through the journey of learning about this rare life-threatening medical disorder and find support to navigate the health challenges along the way. All of our Skid Compass resources can be found by visiting www.skidcompass.org. The website offers a robust variety of both online and printable resources for anyone eager to learn more about this condition or share information with others. Topics cover every step in a family's Skid journey from newborn screening to return home after treatment and everything in between. You can view the website in Spanish, French, German, Portuguese, or Tagalog by clicking on select a language in the upper navigation. We also want to highlight our Skid Compass Toolkit, a downloadable summary of the website that you can order and print for free in 12 different languages. And now I am so pleased to introduce our presenter for today. Dr. Lauren Sanchez is an attending pediatric physician with the UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital Immunology Clinic. Welcome Dr. Sanchez.
1: Hi, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity to come and present and talk with you guys about a topic that's near and dear to me, transition of care. I'm going to take a minute to share my slides. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Start from the beginning. All right. So I'm hoping everyone can see my slides. The title of my talk today is Growing Pains, Transitioning from Pediatric to Adult Care. Again, I'm Lauren. I'm one of the um, immunologists and allergists at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital, um, and I work um, in our pediatric immune deficiency. Immune Deficiency Transition Clinic as well. So today we're going to discuss a couple of things. Um, we're gonna discuss what is transition of care exactly? What are the barriers of transition of care um, for patients with chronic illness? What do we know about transition of care in primary immune deficiency and specifically Skid? And finally, we're going to share some tips and resources for the transition of care. Oops, okay. So I open with some positive news. So as you know, an increasing number of patients with primary immune deficiency diseases are surviving to adulthood due to an increased recognition of primary immune deficiency and advancements in medical care. We have increased clinician awareness and advocacy, leading to an increased number of diagnoses nationally and globally. And this translates to decreased morbidity and decreased um, healthcare costs. We have improved options for treatment, as you guys know, antibiotics, immunoglobulin replacement with IVIG and subq, we have improvements in um, hematopoietic um, cell, cell transplant, we have gene therapy, and we have enzyme replacement therapy for some individuals. We have obviously universal screening for skid, allowing for early and prompt treatment and improved survival. And we have increased access to genetic testing that's allowing clinicians to um, be able to tailor and specialize therapy to individual conditions, anticipate specific complications that might arise, and try to prevent them. And then we can also optimize the transplant for various immune deficiencies based on the genetic diagnosis. So, another piece of news children become adolescents, and adolescents become adults. And so here we have Selena Gomez from making her jump from the Disney Channel to HBO Max and her new cooking show. We have Tay Tay winning Teen Choice Awards back in the day. Now she's winning American Music Awards and Grammys and selling out concerts all over, as you all know. And then we have Justin Bieber singing Baby back in 2008 and now holding babies of his own, not actually his baby. I took time to look this up. This is He's actually holding a friend's baby. So with reasonable certainty, Most adolescents transition to adulthood, but there's less certainty about the manner with which healthcare professionals support this transition. This is a quote from a transitions consensus group in 2011. This quote was written to kickstart national efforts to place priority on transition of care for adolescents and young adults. Um, 12 years later, there's still a lot of work to be done to support the transition of care for our youth, especially youth with chronic illnesses. So kids grow, right? Um, Their bones grow, their muscles grow, their organs grow and develop, including their brains. They grow intellectually, they grow emotionally, but chronic disease such as primary immune deficiency and the treatments for it, like bone marrow transplant can affect normal growth and development. And so it's important to acknowledge this and appropriately support our kids as they survive, not just survive, but thrive um, and transition into adulthood. So what is transition of care? So transition of care is poised to occur at a really important developmental period where adolescents learn to adult. They learn to become independent and navigate adult experiences like self-care, independent study, independent learning, driving a car, and going to the doctor. So the problem is adolescents have a lot going on in their brains, as you can see in this slide. Um, And going to the doctor for self-care is not always a priority. Adolescents also have their brain under construction, and they also have impulse control and executive planning skills that are still under construction in the frontal cortex of their brain. So this can lead to high rates of risky health behaviors. Continuous access to a medical home during this vulnerable transition period is imperative to overall well-being and address acute and chronic health issues and promote self-care. So, as kids start to age out of pediatric services, guaranteeing continuous access to healthcare usually, right, involves the transfer from pediatric to adult providers, known as transition of care. So, transition of care definitions. It is this is the widely used definition in in um, in nationally is, is the purposeful and planned movement of adolescents and young adults with chronic physical and medical conditions from child-centered to adult-oriented health systems. It's the process of just getting ready for health care as an adult. It's a multi-step process. It's not just a single event. It's not just walking into the adult office. It's a positive step, and for kids with chronic illness, this implies hope for the future. Transition of care is not just the transfer of care from a pediatric to adult provider. It's not just sign out. I just don't hand a folder over to the next doctor. When a child turns 18, we don't just drop them off at college and expect them to be instantly independent, right? You don't go from riding a bicycle, sorry, a tricycle, to riding a bicycle on a campus someday. You don't go from adding 2 plus 2 on your fingers to doing calculus in college overnight. And so over 18 years, you learn the skills necessary to become independent learners and take care of yourself in college. And the process just doesn't stop in college. Um, You continue to learn and develop. So similarly, transition of care is a process where families and parents and the clinical team work together over time, over many years to empower the patient to be able to take care of themselves. So why is transition of care really important? So transition of care is preparing youth and their families to the differences between child-oriented services and adult-oriented services and how to negotiate these differences. And it also helps kids learn health literacy for themselves and self-management skills for themselves. So the responsibility over time will gradually shift from parents only to shared responsibility to the patients themselves if they have the capacity to do, to do so. So this process usually takes years and can start as young as ages 11 to 14. Um, and over this, the transfer of care, going to the adult doctor is just a single event, just over a day to even over a couple of months in that whole span of years. But we have to acknowledge that during this time that young adults may not be intellectually or emotionally ready to be to start completely taking care of themselves, oops, excuse me, um, on the adult side. Um, so our adult colleagues have to collaborate with us to continue working on these skills. So if you needed evidence of this, these are sequential images of a healthy brain throughout childhood and adolescence. So the purple here implies pruned or matured gray matter of the brain. And so gray matter pruning occurs through adolescence when we're expecting our kids to take on more autonomy and be little adults. Um, So this process doesn't really complete in the prefrontal cortex until the mid-20s. And that's the area of the brain that's used for planning and reasoning and learning from experience and impulse control. And I feel like these are all things that you need to be able to take care of yourself independently from the medical aspect of things. So we have to adjust our expectations as we expect our young adults to transition to adult systems of healthcare. So, um, transition of healthcare and chronic illness is um, a, a separate issue. Um, it's Transition to a dedicated health adult, um, sorry, a transition to um, a dedicated adult team is critical to maintain a high quality of care for a long term follow up for chronic illness because chronic illness is very nuanced and it depends on the disease that you're treating. So we're pediatrics and pediatrics are really great at taking care of our patients and we really are. Very specialized in taking care of rare diseases that have onset in childhood, but we aren't really poised to adult discuss adult issues that may influence adult that influence adult care, like adult onset chronic conditions, family planning, sexuality, work, financial issues. And that stuff gets integrated into medical care. Um, but in the US, a lot of young adults delay that transition or that transition is delayed for them. Um, less than 20% of youth with special health care needs and even less receive transition preparation from their clinicians. Um, many establish, about 50% establish adult care later than recommended. The recommended recommendation is between 18 to 22. 50% of, people, of kids establish with a primary care provider after age 22. And then there's often delays in establishing care after that last visit with their pediatrician. There's an average delay of about 20 months for subspecialty care, um, and 41 months for primary care. And so, for kids with chronic illness, these long gaps, like you know, a year to three years, could put the patient at risk for health comp- accruing health complications. So a lack of a structured transition of care or help with transition of care can be associated with, as we just discussed, delays in medical care, loss to follow-up, poor compliance with medications, increased emergency room visits and utilization, and increased hospitalizations, things that we try to to avoid for our kids. So why is it so hard to transition to adult care? What are some barriers of care in chronic illness? So to best understand the barriers to transition of care, I think we should review the inherent differences in pediatric versus adult models of care. So in the pediatric model of care, the care is family-centered, right? It's it's focuses on the parent or the caregiver um, and their decision-making. this is really great for a baby and for young children, but this style as the as the kids grow and develop may reduce opportunities to foster independence as the patient grows. Um, in adult models of care, we expect the care to be patient-centered and emphasize p- patient decision-making. So in the pediatric models of care, uh, child can become accustomed to taking a passive role in the care, sort of just sitting and listening to mom talk with the doctors and the nurses. Um, Studies have indicated that a young age of diagnosis can make the transition of care difficult. And this could be multifactorial. From the aspect of us, the medical team, we might be reluctant to let a patient go that we've cared for since they were babies, since the newborn screen. And from the aspect of the patient and their family, they may be reluctant to move on to a new medical team and a new medical home. And even as a child grows older, then um, mom or dad has a hard time letting go and continue and continues to assume an active role in their, their medical care. It's, it's just natural. Um, <clears throat> in pediatric models of care, we also put a lot of focus on growth and um, hitting developmental milestones, whereas this is de-emphasized in adult models of care. Um, and in the pediatric side, we often have take a multidisciplinary approach to things that can include Um, A social worker, a child life specialist, a case manager, a case coordinator, a dietitian, and this might not always be readily accessible on the adult side. So these differences can make transition a little difficult. So other barriers to transition of care when we actually ask people about them um, are pretty well defined, Um, not in primary immune deficiency. We don't have a lot of that data yet, but we know about major themes based on previous research that has been done. Um, So I wanted to share a couple of those with you today. So patients, from the patient and family perspective, they often report fear of a new healthcare system or hospital having been cared for by a pediatric medical home since birth, right? In some cases, uh, patients often have anxiety, parents actually have some anxiety about letting go of a little bit of control to the patient and that the new medical team might not listen to input the way that the pediatrics team has has done so in the past. Families may also have some preconceived beliefs about the adult healthcare system being like a bad place or a really hard place to be in. And finally, logistical issues may make it hard um, for families to be motivated to find a new medical home. It's really hard to find a new physician, transfer records, get to figure out how to get to a new clinic. Um, Parents and families also report a lack of preparation from their pediatric team about what to expect in the adult healthcare system. And then there might be some personal factors that make it hard to transition like um, social or financial instability. So we always try to make the transition when things are as clinically stable as possible. And then finally, just the healthcare system in the U.S. is just not built in favor of easy transitions. Patients often report to us that there's a limited availability of adult specialists, not just immunologists. We are trained to see both pediatric and adults, adults, but on the... In other subspecialties like hematology, oncology, transplant, sometimes there's a limited availability of those adult specialists, especially those with specific knowledge in the immune deficiencies that we're treating. Um, then, loss of insurance coverage when you switch and age out of mom and dad's insurance that can also make it hard to find a new medical team. And now, on the doctor side of things, on the healthcare side of things, um, other barriers to transition of care that have been reported is a is communication and consultation gaps. So um, clinicians often lament that transition is made difficult due to a lack of communication between peds and adult. Adult clinicians might receive a patient without full medical records um, and follow-up recommendations from pediatric specialists lead contributing to gaps in care. Adult clinicians may just be reluctant to take care of young adults with chronic illness because they have a lack of experience in doing so. But um, they also may have, um, some some barriers to taking care of patients who rely on caregivers. Maybe they don't have a lot of practice in doing that. And there's also um, sometimes a lack of follow up of guidelines for long term follow up for these patients that they can't really. They don't have anything to reference. Other barriers that clinicians and healthcare teams have reported that you know transition of care takes a village and. We often, you know, say that transition of care is not well supported in adult care because there's lack of access to the multidisciplinary teams that we need mental health providers and other support services. And then on the adult side sometimes there's a lack of dedicated time and reimbursement for a transition and that can make it hard to fit the, all of these things that we need to do into the schedule. Um, Adult providers also may be challenged by um, an unprepared patient or family's lack of readiness um, of the adult care to deal with the adult care system, lack of knowledge about their own medical history, and healthcare teams might be challenged with um, by a patient who's still learning how to advocate for themselves and make their own medical decisions. And so we also need to help families and adult healthcare systems Adjust expectations for each other. So families also need to adjust expectations for visit time, uh, which might be shorter in the adult world, and navigate privacy issues with their young adult. As patients age into uh, age into the adult side, then there are some privacy issues that come up, and legal documentation often has to be filled out. So this can make things complicated. So what are what do we know about transition of care and primary immune deficiency and skid? Well, there's probably some unique challenges, right, to taking care of transition issues and primary immune deficiency. So there's a lack of guidelines because collectively, primary immune deficiency is rare. And it's usually diagnosed in childhood. Um, and So the long-term follow-up guidelines are not yet really well fleshed out. And then on the adult side, they might be unfamiliar with treating patients with primary immune deficiency because these are very rare and these are new things that are popping up on their radar. Um, Primary immune deficiencies are very heterogeneous. They're very different from each other. So long-term follow-up plans can be different from each other. then, and then depending on the immune deficiency, patients might be affected by multiple and complex health problems that can progress with age. And so these patients definitely need access to a specialized adult center and multiple subspecialists may be needed. Um, and then some patients with primary immune deficiency may have cognitive disability as part of their underlying disease. And Patients with cognitive disability may need lifelong help with care and may not actually be able to fully transition to an adult model of care. So in terms of um, cognitive disability, it's a relative contraindication for transition of care in some other chronic conditions like cardiac disease and cystic fibrosis. Um, And this is because This is because that some adult practitioners may not be trained in caring for patients with special needs um, due to failure to thrive or other developmental delays. So in turn, these patients who need multidisciplinary support from specific nurses, social workers, caseworkers, they actually may benefit from staying in their pediatric medical homes. And these patients and families may benefit from special transition plans to adult models of care that are formed with the support of their families. Or skid because I know this is a skid compass talk, um, I wanted to give a little bit of time to this. There's there's no clear consensus guidelines for long term follow up in Skid. So I want to refer you to the previous talk by my, um, my program director, Dr. Morna Dorsey, and the, the head of the Cal Skid program, who touched on long term follow up in Skid. So some of the points in her talk were that long term follow up guidelines in Skid are not yet fleshed out. Um, there's little data as Skid is rare. It's heterogeneous. And the follow-up plan is dependent on the type of skin and the treatment received. Um, we also know that immunity may wane post-transplant, but there's a lack of data in whom this occurs, when it occurs, and how often we truly need to monitor and how we need, what's the best practice and how we monitor. So we definitely need specialized immunologists and transplanters um, that will be helpful to be part of transition teams as skin survivors advance into adulthood. I won't go into the specific um, long-term follow-up needs by every organ system um, for the purposes of this this talk, but it's definitely something that should be explored. So we want to make, transition of care a national priority. So in 2002, a consensus statement was published that highlighted the importance of transition of adolescents with special health care needs, and this kick-started an initiative to support pediatric to adult care health care transition services. So the shared national goals are to improve the ability of youth um, to manage their own, own health care and effectively use health care services and ensure an organized process in pediatric and adult healthcare practice um, is in place to facilitate transition prep and integration into adult care so that we don't lose people in the cracks. And so these efforts translated into a widely adopted approach called the six core elements of healthcare. So these elements define the basic components of a structured transition process for youth with or without special healthcare needs. And so these these, um, elements are included in transition models for many various diseases, um, and they're modified to fit the patient population and the individual patient. So the core elements are one, the development of a transition policy and guide, two, tracking and monitoring the progress of youth transitioning to healthcare, three, readiness assessments, skills and education needed for adult care. Four, transition planning with the family. Um, This includes talking about short-term and long-term transition goals, developing a medical summary and fact sheets that the family and the patient can carry around to their next um, doctors, um, and compiling legal documentation as needed. Um, Number five is the actual transfer of care to an adult doctor. When the uh, patient is ready and clinically stable, and six, um, the actual completion of transition doesn't just stop with heading into the adult hospital. They continue. They should continue to work on adult skills and seek. And the clinicians should seek feedback about how the process went. Well, how do you transition care in rare disease? That's why we're all here today, right? Like, how do you transition care in rare disease when? you know when we have an idea of how best to take care of people on this side of the bridge where everything is sunny and clear how do you best transition people into the other side of the bridge where guidelines are foggy and things are not so clear so we People have started looking at this problem in immunology specifically. So the gist, the gist of it is that we all want to help, but many clinicians feel unprepared. So in a recent survey of practicing allergy and immunology, clinicians almost 50% do not have a transition policy. A quarter are dissatisfied with any current transition practices or lack thereof and 30% actually asked for more training in transition of care. And this is even in people like ourselves who are trained in both adult and pediatrics. In the same survey, clinicians in immunology reported um, tra- barriers to transition in primary immune deficiency included fragmented adult care. So that is, they were really unable to piece together specialists for their, for their patients on um, the adult side. They had a lack of time and reimbursement to do this in a really thorough way that they wanted to do. So, and they all, they all, people reported a lack of transition of care skills or training to be able to do this right. There's really no guidelines that we can rely on. There's no consensus guidelines for transition of care and immune deficiency or SCID um, in North America. There is one in Italy that just came out, but even those are bare bones. So, Without transition transition programs or a transition roadmap, the first first interaction with adult healthcare system may be during an acute or critical illness and an unfamiliar hospital or clinical setting with new providers, not ideal. the goal really is to um, to start some transition of care programs, these um, hopefully in primary immune deficiency and in SCID. So these programs will help patients and families or hopefully help patients and families establish care with primary care and subspecialists in a controlled setting. And We can draw on the experiences from other chronic conditions like cystic fibrosis, juvenile diabetes, inflammatory bowel disease, spina bifida, sickle cell, blood and solid organ transplants to make our own transition of care program because again, consensus guidelines and research in primary immune deficiency are lacking. So why do we care about a transition of care program? This is something that we want to implement and and features of these things are things that you should take to your own physicians and say, these these are things that we wanna implement for our kids. So a transition of care program will help patients and families set age appropriate transition goals. Um, It gives focused time to support and practice these self-management skills that we say are very important, like promoting shared decision-making, promoting participation in every visit and care. Um, Communicating with healthcare practice, communicating with healthcare providers, um, learning about what medications you're taking and what doses you're on and what they're for and being able to help adolescents start to schedule their own appointments. Um, It also provides focused time to discuss young young adult and adult medical concerns that we might not always have the expertise or the training for or the time for um, in a, a usual pediatric visit, like reproductive health issues and mental health issues. So at UCSF, we um, identified the need for these efforts and started our own primary immune deficiency transition clinic um, and our transition care program. We started this in 2017, Um, knowing that we had an increased number of adult patients older than 22 that were aging out of pediatric subspecialty care, not just our clinic, and abruptly transitioning during acute hospitalizations when they were forced to go to an adult hospital. Um, Our team, uh, on the pediatric side is a clinician, um, an immunologist, and our nurse practitioner, a social worker. And then the adult team on the other side is an immunologist, an infectious disease doctor, a nurse practitioner, and um, we're working on getting a social worker for that side. So we're aligned with guidelines to begin our active transition um, around age 18 with a goal of getting them into adult integrated into adult care by age 22 or later, um, depending on when they're clinically stable. So what we do in this clinic is um, it's a separate clinic apart from their usual visits. And in these clinic visits, um, we have dedicated time to talk about transition and administer the readiness questionnaire, which is a set which assesses the patient's ability to manage their own medications, like take how how they can um, take them themselves. Do they refill them themselves? Uh, we assess their ability to keep appointments and track their own health issues, communicate with our providers um, and even manage daily activities. Are they helping out with chores at home? Are they eating, are they making their own lunch? Are they making their own snacks? Um, Can they run errands? Can they go to the store and fetch something? If there there's deficiencies in this, we use this time to address deficiencies in the readiness questionnaire and um, set short-term and long-term goals with the families about them. Um, and then we also take the time to write and update a medical transfer summary. We take the time to go all the way back to the beginning to to birth to the to the diagnosis of their primary immune deficiency or their diagnosis of Skid, and we start and we write a medical transfer transfer summary that. Basically summarizes where they've, what their past medical issues have been and what treatments they've gotten and where they're going from here. Um, This is our workflow. Um, So we start uh, with early transition, just introducing transition of care process and providing transition of care resources. When we actively transition patients is when they start to meet our adult um, healthcare providers and we have joint visits with them to have a warm handoff. We identify an adult healthcare provider, an adult primary care provider, to sort of help co-manage all of their chronic conditions, and then when they finally transfer, then they continue care in the adult transition clinic and continue working on the skills that need help based on the assessment questionnaires that we have administered. So outcomes to date uh, in the first three years of our transition program, we have had not had a significant increase in the number of significant infections, emergency room visits or hospitalizations in the patients who are transferred to adult immunology clinic. But these are just preliminary outcomes for the research is needed to learn about the impact of our transition program on parents and their caregivers and how they feel about this process and whether they felt truly supported throughout this process. So in the last part of this talk, we'll just talk about tips and resources for the transition of care. So when we talk about transition of care for families, we we say transition of care can start as early as age 11 or 14, way before we even start thinking about our kids like graduating from high school, going to college and going to adult doctors. We just want them to start thinking about, about the about the differences between pediatric and adult care, but it doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be abrupt. We can start small and with age appropriate goals and objectives that you kind of sprinkle in with the visits as you go to see your doctor you know, at once a year, twice a year, or as often as you do. Um, you can start with little things like learning about the names of what your medical condition is, um, Taking medication, why you take medications. What are the names of your medications? How often do you take your medications? Can you identify which pill is what? Um, Do you know what your allergies are? And as your teen grows, you also may want to encourage them to ask a question or two to the clinician. After all, it is their visit. Um, What some physicians do is um, provide a little. Um, three by five index card to the family. And so then the the child can write down a a question to the clinician and it can be any any question. And the patient has the opportunity to either hand that card back to the clinician to answer that question that day, or they can answer it some other time. Um, Clinicians also have to do a better job of engaging sullen teenagers sometimes or quiet teenagers who sort of don't wanna be part of the visit. Um, So there are ways, there are little things that we can do to get them engaged. We we should be able to engage them in the conversation, ask them questions directly. And when it's appropriate to ask parents to step out to give give them time with one-on-one with the physician um, to to practice um, being able to go to the doctor by themselves. Here's some examples to get younger teens engaged. We can say, hey, so what medications are you taking? Well, let's review all the medications that you take. Let's review what doses that you take. And now that you know, why don't we write them in your phone together? Let's store them in your phone so that you have access to them in case somebody asks. Or who would you call if you got sick? You would call your mom or if if your mom wasn't around, who would you call? Would you call the emergency room? Would you call your nurse practitioner? Would you call the doctor? Great. So those are all, those are all options. Let's put them in your, let's put these numbers in your phone together. Easy ways to get your child engaged in the visit and also be able to use their phone during the visit. Um, I also encourage families to take a questionnaire. About one to two times a year, as a measure of your of your child's knowledge and progress towards transition, um, there's two that we like, either through the Immune Deficiency Foundation or Got Transition, which is the National Organization for Transition. Um, these are the questionnaires. So I know that this is really small font, um, but you can take a look online at these questionnaires, and what they do is ask very concrete questions, like. Do I know, do you know the names of the medica- of the diagnoses that you have? What are you being treated for? What are the names of your medications? Do you know who to call if you feel sick? Do you know who to call if you run out of medication? Uh, i can I can check into the doctor by myself. Like when I get to the doctors, I can check into the doctor myself. Just easy things um, that parents can check off um, sequentially through the years. And as, Um, As the child grows, then the um, goals and objectives become a little bit more complex and age-appropriate. So, um, as everybody starts to grow um, towards adulthood and think about transitioning to adult services, what should we think about when we prepare for the first visit with an adult practitioner? Well, first, you have to identify an appropriate um, PCP, immunologist, and subspecialist, if applicable to you. Um, the Immune Defici- Deficiency Foundation, of course, can help find an adult immunologist if you're if you need to move on from your current immunologist. Um, consider reaching out to these new providers before the first visit to ask what information would be helpful to know um, before the first meeting and review before the first meeting, and. Um, warm handoffs are gaining traction. A warm handoff means you have a visit with both your pediatric specialist and your adult specialist in the same room with you, so that um, it's more of a of a meeting, um, and a lot. And this reduces gaps um, in the transition of care and gaps in knowledge regarding the patient. It's Sometimes it's limited by insurance or by policies enacted by the hospital, so you could ask if shared or joint visits with your pediatric immunologists and subspecialists are possible. The preparation of a medical summary with the patient and the caregiver can be one way to spark important discussion about the patient's health. Um, These medical summaries can eliminate gaps in transition of care um, or guide clinicians who might not have a lot of experience in treating patients with primary immune deficiency or SCID. Uh, And you can work with your physicians to keep this medical summary up to date every year or twice a year. Information that should be included in the summary should be the diagnoses and the date of your diagnoses, the names of the current specialists who are treating them, what therapies have been used, um, both currently and in the past, any antibiotic prophylaxis you're on, what immune globulin replacement you're on, any immunomodulatory therapy that you've taken in the past like steroids, GVHT medications, or biologics, any major hospitalizations or surgeries that your child has had, and then at the moment of transfer or just before transfer, you also want your doctors to fill in what the next steps and plans are for follow up. Like, does does the heart need to be looked at with an echo every five years? Do does do they need an X ray every ten years? Do they need blood a blood, a blood draw every six months, etc. You may also want to consider consider including a condition fact sheet as part of your medical summary. Sometimes you may be in a situation where you're getting um, acute care and the the clinicians around you don't know what SCID is or are not that familiar with SCID or not that familiar with primary immune deficiency. And so it may be nice to have just a little paragraph there about what condition your child has been diagnosed with and treated for. Uh, for for those who have undergone transplant, um, a transplant summary um, as part of the transfer summary can help clinicians in the future screen for and manage it, manage pre- relevant potential late effects. And so the details of the transplant that would be needed would be the dates and the location of the transplant or gene therapy. The source of the plant transplant was it um, an umbilical? Was it um, was it stem cell? Was it um, was it gene therapy? Uh, Was it a a matched unrelated donor? Was it uh, a sibling donor? You also want to know about the type of conditioning and the type of chemotherapies that were used because that can help anticipate future complications and whether any radiation was used. Um, And they also want to know about complications of the transplant or gene therapy. Other things that should be in the medical summary could be health insurance information, Important team members in your child's care and contact information like emergency contacts, legal paperwork if applicable. So that would be um, power of attorney if that's necessary for your child for your child when they turn 18. Um, any paperwork de- regarding medical decision making. Um, you also want to add in there any specialty pharmacy information or home health information that would be helpful for your new teams to know. And any other things that you would want a new provider to know if you weren't there with your child. Um, and they were unable to to verbalize these things. How does the patient like to receive new information? What can make your child anxious? And if they are anxious or frightened, what can comfort them? When I go through these medical summaries with my patients, parents find that this section is probably the most helpful to advocate for their child in navigating new environments. Um, So, I wanted to share a couple of resources um, for primary immune deficiency patients and families who are thinking about transitioning care from moving on from pediatric subspecialties, not just from their immunologists, but different subspecialties. So the Immune Deficiency Foundation has this published guide for young adults. This is uh, most recently updated in 2023. It's very nicely written. It has patient and family Um, oriented information about making the leap to adult care and advocating for yourself. It has the age-specific checklist that I talked about that you can review with your child. Um, It's a great guide to spark discussion with your young adult or your teen um, about the things that they need to do to start taking care of themselves in the medical aspect. And it's also a great guide to spark um, discussion with your clinician about preparing your child for adult care. Um, what are things that we need to do together to get to get this kid ready? Um, GotTransition.org org is also a really great and comprehensive um, resource. Um, it's a nationally funded initiative for transition. It's got great tools and resources for patients, parents, and caregivers to transition to healthcare. Um, it has the readiness quizzes um, that I um, that I uh, reviewed earlier. Um, it also has tools for healthcare practitioners to prepare patients for transition. So if you have a clinician who is a little apprehensive about transitioning, transitioning your, your child to adult pro- providers, they can use this um, to help prepare themselves and learn about the skills that the patient needs to transition. So I wanted to close with some takeaway points. So um, transition. Of care is not the transfer of care. It's long, it's multi-step, it's a team process. It requires participation from pediatric and adult caregivers, parents, 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 caregivers, and the patient to the fullest extent possible. Um, you may not know, you may not, it may not be evident, but research has shown that teens actually listen to their parents the most um, out of anybody else in terms. In terms of transition and in terms of receiving healthcare information, they rely on their parents the most. So, parents are an essential critical part to good transition. So, in the last decade, there's been monumental, exponential efforts to create transition readiness tools and algorithms for young adults with chronic conditions. But there's still many barriers to transition that we need to overcome um, as a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, Young adults with chronic and high need conditions like primary immune deficiency and SCID, um, they can fall through the cracks. Um, And that could result in transition in inopportune times of acute stress and illness. And these gaps can also lead to delays in medical care. Um, Then finally, transition of care guidelines are evolving and further research is needed for patients with best practices in primary immune deficiency and in SCID. Um, there's a lot to be a lot to be done Um, you guys are living this journey right so parents and patients are living this journey and if you want to share stories with me about transition good bad positive negative if you want to work together um, to improve transition for primary immune deficiency and for skid I would love to hear about it so thank you for your time today. Um, you guys are awesome. Um, I also wanted to put a, acknowledge the efforts of our immunology transition team on the pediatric and the adult side at UCSF. And also we are under the UCSF transition work group under the directorship of Erica Lawson and Maggie Okamura. Um, this is an initiative at UCSF that we have to transition all of our kids with chronic illness to adult care. Thank you so much for your time today, and I'm happy to answer any questions.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Sanchez. That was amazing. All right. Now we're going to get into some Q&A. Um, So again, my name is Emma Mertens. I'm the Program Manager of Community Health at IDF. And leading us through the Q&A, we have Dr. Lawrence Sanchez. A friendly reminder to our audience, if you would like to ask anything during the Q&A, to please enter your questions in the box at the bottom of your Zoom screen. All right, so we'll give folks a couple, couple seconds
1: to put in any questions that they might have. questions just yet we'll give it a couple more minutes all right a couple of questions coming in
0: all right so our first question um this individual says thank you for your time today one issue we run into as our child being a young adult is moving into a new area where there isn't a major hospital. Do you have any suggestions?
1: And uh, that is a great question. Um, so I think that's also part of transition, right? Moving is also part of transition. Um, and so, when you are moving to a place that doesn't have a major hospital that can engender some anxiety as you move away from a major hospital and that those those specialized um, resources that you have um, come to know and be accustomed to. Um, I think what can help is sitting down with the clinicians that you have now and writing that medical transfer summary and writing down what what conditions need to be treated, and then identifying, asking your physicians to identify specialists that would be in your area um, to transition to. Um, So you might not be able to recapitulate the major hospital, but you'll be able to try to piece together the the components of the major hospital and, and build up a new care team. What'll be really important um, is that medical transfer summary and also a condition fact sheet, because that will also give, you can keep that together as a packet. And when you go to um, a local hospital that might not have that experience in rare disease or complex disease, they have that packet to rely on and say, oh, I know this is SCID. these are the things that I should be thinking about when I um, treat this patient. And these are the people that I can call when I am stuck and I need help and I need need, um, further help to to move things along. Um, But I think a lot of preparation is is best um, when you're in that situation like that. Certainly. Thank you. All right. And our next question is, is there funding
0: available for hospitals and clinics to start their own transition programs?
1: I wish. Um, So a lot of us are, um, a lot of us are are working on um, small grants um, to fund transition um, programs. Um, A lot of them are funded either through a national um, transition effort or through um, disease specific um, funding agencies, but there's not specific funding um, doled out for this, but I do think that it is something we need to advocate for. All right, thank you so much. Um, we'll give it
0: thirty more seconds to see if anyone has other any other questions. That otherwise, we'll we'll get ready to wrap
1: up here. All right. Well, thank you so much. I think that wraps up our Q&A for now.
0: Um, thank you so much, Dr. Sanchez for that wonderful presentation. And thank you to our audience for your engagement and participation in the Q&A. We hope you'll remember to take advantage of all of the resources that IDF has to offer. Oh, really quick. I think we'd have one more question, Dr. Sanchez, if you're still here that we can go back to. Oh, there we go. Going back, so we get this one last question. All right. Okay, last question. Sorry about that, Dr. Sanchez. Um, okay, this individual wants to know regarding um, a severe skid instead of a, another kind of PI. Um, is it treated the same in the same manner in regard to continu- continuity of care as well as what is the latest treatments for skid? So I guess she's asking. Um, how might um, the transition of care differ for an individual or a child with skid versus another type of PI like CVID?
1: Of course. Yeah. So um, the approach to um, transition of care in Skid um, will differ from other primary immune deficiencies, depending on the type of Skid and depending on whether the patient has been transplanted or not. Some primary immune deficiencies don't, um, aren't treated with transplant. For example, most forms of CVID are not treated with transplant. And so their transition of care may be handled a little bit differently um, and their monitoring may be different. Also, the different conditions that affect different immune deficiencies will require different types of monitoring. For example, patients with CVID Maybe at more at higher risk for lung complications, liver complications, um, and cancers. And so different subspecialists will have to monitor those things. But for skid, it depends on the type of skid that you have and what transplant you've had and what medications you've had, and that will influence what kind of um, follow-up you get um, in terms of long-term follow-up and transition. Thank you, Dr. Sanchez.
0: All right, so that wraps up our Q&A. Um, we hope that you'll remember to take advantage of all of the resources that IDF has to offer. If your question wasn't addressed during the program, go online and submit your question to Ask IDF. Visit www.primaryimmune.org ask-idf or give us a call at the 800 number on your screen. Be sure to check out the IDF Resource Center and YouTube page to find videos, resources, and more. And also the uh, young adult guide that Dr. Sanchez mentioned in her talk is also available on the IDF Resource Center. As we head into summer, IDF has programming for everyone, no matter your connection to PI. We are less than a month away from our 2023 PI Conference and are thrilled to offer more than 38 virtual sessions featuring the country's top immunology experts across three different tracks. In July, IDF will host our 2023 Escape Weekend for teens and young adults with PI in Dallas, Texas. Be sure to follow us on social for the latest news and updates. Again, we hope to see you virtually at our 2023 PI conference coming up on June 22nd and 23rd. To register and see the agenda, visit primaryimmune.org slash conference. Thank you again to Dr. Sanchez for her wonderful talk and thank you to our audience for joining us today. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your afternoon.